again, ladies and gentlemen, Ghost Nobody here, ready to bring you Chapter 8 of The Enemy of My Enemy, the second of my trips into the AVP fan fiction universe. As always, I do hope you've been enjoying this little tale now once re- written and now retold in my own voice. And as always, if you can like, subscribe, share it wherever you can, or even just leave me feedback, either via fanfiction.net, archiveofourown.org, or even at ghostnobody.com, my very own website. Every comment's always well appreciated and, you know, lifts my heart to let me know what you think about it and to remember it, whether it brings you nostalgia or just enjoy the fact that I'm retelling it in my own voice. Whatever you want to say. Come on, don't be shy. So, let's get on with the show, shall we? Oh, before we do, the usual legal disclaimer. I don't own anything to do with AVP. It's all fan fiction. I just keep all the pretty usual girls all for myself. They're all hidden under my bed. See? Let's get on with the show. Chapter 8. Building Bridges A can bounced down the hallway, causing an echo as it span and pinged off the drab grey-coloured concrete walls. Ice turned and looked at Picasso accusingly, and he just shrugged guiltily. Sorry, it's kind of hard to see under this damn thing sometimes, he said, gesturing with his heavily modified M56 smart gun. This particular smart gun had been through tanks' hands and been heavily modified. It was made of much lighter materials to make it easier to swing around in a tight place and also carry over longer distances. Next up was the tracking systems. He'd modified them by combining them with the same systems that are used by Juta hunting masks and plasma casters. So now, instead of just firing wherever the user was looking, it could be used to lock onto targets for sustained fire. This meant the user wore a modified headpiece attached to their helmet, which displayed a kind of heads-up display into their visor and projected the laser which it used to lock onto targets with. With a bit of tank flare, he'd somehow managed to make it smart enough to be able to track multiple targets all at once, and also to prioritise them based on distance and threat analysis. So, for example... If you had a heavily armed sniper 200 metres from you and a charging Xeno 100 metres from you, it prioritised the sniper because a a bullet was a lot faster over the ground than a Xeno was and it would fire a burst to them to make them get their head down before switching to the Xeno. Tank's last trick with this particular gun was its real party piece. Tank called it TAA or Target Adjusting Ammo. This stuff was just as smart as the gun was, and it worked perfectly in conjunction with the gun's sensors, and it adjusted itself for the particular target that the user was firing at. For example, if you were firing at a Xeno, it would adjust the ammo to penetrate the target's thick skin and then explode inside the target before the acid had a chance to dissolve it. But if you were firing at a soft-skinned unarmored human, it would drop the projectile charge to slow the round down and adjust the tip to not fully explode, but rather pop open and expand. So it kind of ballooned out like a dum-dum or a a copper top. So it didn't punch straight through and over-penetrate, but instead stayed inside the target, mushrooming out to do maximum damage like a hollow-point round would. The heads-up display was also fitted with mini-movement trackers, like the type the colonial marines used, but just small enough clipped to the user's helmet and it displayed the user's results inside the user's visor. But, despite all the tank's modifications, the gun was still a bit on large side, and kind of a beast to wield, big and cumbersome to hold, even with the mechanical 
uh, belt and the aperture helping you to swing it around. This was what was hindering Picasso right at the moment, as he found it difficult to actually see his feet under the damn thing when it was in the drawer. Ice just shook her head as she turned back to the corridor in front of her. This hospital was fucking creepy, and she didn't really like it here. The lobby and the corridors that he'd encountered upon entered looked like a tornado had swept through them. There was stuff strewn in every direction. Seats and desks overturned and thrown around. Overturned wheelchairs and gurneys. This also seemed to be quite the flavour of the month in the main lobby as well. What had disturbed her the most, though, about them was the fact that every single one of them had been bloodstained. So they hadn't just been stoned there, they'd once been occupied, and whatever blitzed through here had really done a number on the occupants. As they moved deeper into the hospital, they also began to notice makeshift barricades in various corridors and against doors. Obviously the doctors, nurses and staff, and probably the patients themselves, had tried to seal themselves off from whatever the hell was swept through here. The depressing thing for ice was pretty much every single one of the barricades had been breached. As they moved into a large X-junction, ice swung her modified pulse rifle from corridor to corridor in succession of her arc, checking that each one was clear. She was carrying the modified version of the M41 pulse rifle, and once again it had also been through Tank's hands. He'd named it the M41T. It had been lightened by different materials in the same way as Picasso's smart gun had been. It also now supporting a reinforced barrel made from precision mill titanium. It's also fitted with an integrated and very life-lasting suppressor. This made the weapon much quieter than the standard model, especially when it was combined with the special subsonic ammo that he'd come up with for it. Ice always chose to carry a mixture of ammo. She always had a good balance of whatever engagements threw at her. On this trip, she was carrying the 10x24 caseless explosive tipped rounds and the 10x24mm subsonic hollow points. These were stored in custom drum magazines that Tanker created for the gun. They held 200 rounds per drum, allowing the user to stay in the fight much longer before swapping out. The gun also supported both a small hollow sight and a laser pointer on its rails to aid the accuracy. He'd also rigged up the gun's fire selector to include single shots, so it could be used for maximum accuracy and pinpoint targeting. He'd also rejigged the underbarrel pump-action grenade launcher with a much smoother action, which when combined with his own brand of airburst frag incendiary grenades, this made it particularly deadly to crowds and in tight spaces. Ice looked up at the signs in the corridors. To the left was X-ray in the MRA departments. To the right was surgery and intensive care units. Directly ahead of them led directly into the labs and the wards. Glancing over her shoulder, she saw Picasso scanning the area with his large smart gun and his sensors. The labs would be our best option. If they had any time before any of the worst of this hit, then there'd be sample and possibly specimens located there. Something that we can analyse, she said, and Picasso nodded in agreement. All right, lead the way, Doc. This is your game field, not mine, he said, and she nodded, heading her head down the corridor that led towards the labs. As they walked, she began to notice even more breached barricades, 
in the smaller branching corridors along the route. Hold up, Picasso said, in a sudden hissed voice from behind her. Ice instantly froze and glanced over her shoulder at him. He was moving his smart gun around trying to get a fix on something, and that worried her. I got movement. Fifty metres. Four signals, he said in a whisper, pointing in the direction his motion tracker had got the ping from. Ice nodded and brought her weapon up into the aim in the direction that Picasso was indicating. Both of them moved slowly and silently down the corridor, with Picasso counting down the distance between them and the four pings, using his fingers to count down each ten metres on the motion tracker. As they drew closer, Ice started to hear an odd scraping noise. She held up a bald fist and Picasso stopped dead. She motioned to her head to show that she'd heard something in the direction, and a return nod from in and heard it indicated he'd heard it too. The pair of them began to move again, but even slower than before. Nothing more than a crawl, really, being extra careful of their footing now with all the loose items and debris littering the floor. This was extra difficult for Picasso, because he couldn't actually see his feet, but he did his best all the same. A small corridor leading off the main one seemed to be where the pings were coming from, and it also appeared Picasso signal ice where the pings were moving to. She nodded and moved off to his left as they moved around the corner so they had good covering arcs and didn't get in each other's way. Stepping around the corner, both of them instantly saw what had tripped the motion tracker. There were three humans, a male Yuzhuta as well. Standing in the corridor, they stood at a closed door, and from the massive scratch marks and what appeared to be teeth marks that nice night vision systems picked up, they'd been trying to get through it for quite a while. The four of them didn't even seem to notice the two newcomers. Ice thought about shouting a challenge. Well, that was until she noticed the huge growth sticking up out the back of the Yuta male. It looked like he got some sort of coral shards sticking up out of his back and shoulders. The night vision screwed up her ability to identify colours, as everything kind of just looked like a million different shades of grey and white. Ice also noticed the same growth sticking up out of the various parts of the three humans' bodies as well. Plus the fact that the one nearest to them seemed to be missing his left arm from the elbow, and he didn't even seem to really care. All four of them were wearing hospital lab coats, which indicated that they hadn't been medical staff either doctors or lab techs, potentially. It was at this point that the Yejuta seemed to notice the new newcomers. He turned slowly at first, but then was able to see them with one good eye that he still had, as his other was encased completely in coral growths. Straight away let loose a blood-curdling roar. Two of his mandibles flared, and just as he did the other two just kind of twitched as the skin between them seemed to be fused into the coral mass that was on the side of his face. Without hesitation, Ice levelled her M41T on him. As the laser par- pointer marked the centre of his chest, she put three rounds into the centre where his heart would be. As they were in close confines, she figured they'd be facing unarmoured targets. A gun was loaded with hollow point rounds. The M41T made a series of dull thuds as it fired off the three rounds in rapid succession, and all three found their mark causing the Yejuta male to stagger backwards. But he didn't fall. Glowing blood sprayed out from the impact sites on his chest and caused a fine glowing mist to spring up in front of him. 
but instead of stopping him, all it seemed to do was piss him off, and he let loose another blood-curdling roar. But this one did sound counter rattly, as he did have what would be three sucking chest wounds, to be fair. As one of the three humans with him turned towards the two of them, and now I could see the full extent of the damage to their bodies as well. The fact that one of them was still up and mobile was nothing short of a miracle. Her body was peppered with a variety of gunshot wounds. Her chest was peppered with holes and most of her stomach seemed to have been blown away with what obviously had been a shotgun hit at close range. Ice's eyes widened at the sight of the young woman with her intestines hanging down around her knees like a skipping rope and a gigantic hole in her abdomen where they had once been stored. She glanced at Picasso and she could see the shock painted in his eyes even through his visor. Weapons free! She yelled just as the four of them started to head straight for them. Picasso's smart gun roared as he opened up on them. Fortunately, Tank had fitted the end of the barrel with a flash suppressor to eliminate the muzzle flash, so their night vision wouldn't be affected by it when used in dark places, and would make them harder to pick up and target if they were for returning fire. The smart targeting picked the heavily injured woman as the one closest to him, and the large rounds from his opening burst tore straight through her upper chest and tore it to pieces, slamming her down back onto her back hard. But to the utter shock, no sooner had she hit the floor than she was trying to scramble back to her feet again. No fucking way. That's not fucking possible, Ice yelled as she sent yet another burst into the chest of the Yajuta opening up even more of his chest. But it didn't even slow him down or stop him. He just kept coming. The second burst from Paparasso's smart gun hit the second human and opened a zipper of hits right up his chest, with the final round slamming into his face, hitting him right between the eyes. The large round blew out the back of the male's skull and the vacuum pressure that it caused collapsed his head in nearly, while also causing one of his eyes to pop out of his socket well, the one that wasn't encased in coral anyway. The male fell backwards onto his back and took out the legs of the Yejuto who got tangled up in them and fell sprawling, causing him to trip and fall right on his face. Picasso noticed that this human didn't try and get back up. Turning to Ice, he yelled, Go for headshots! Ice nodded and levelled her M41T on the centre of the Yejuto's face while he was trying to get back up again. He looked like he was doing some sort of push-up while using the human as a bench to rest his feet on. A three-round burst caved pretty much his face in on itself and his body crashed back down to the floor with a heavy thud. This time, he didn't try to get back up. The final two who were left standing fell with a burst from each weapon to each of their heads slamming them back down onto their backs, sending them skittering backwards minus their skulls. Tango was neutralised, Picasso said in a morose voice, and he tapped the Ryujuta's corpse with his armoured foot. He turned to look at Ace, who was already crouched down next to the body of the young woman, whose body had pretty much been turned inside out by the power of the gunshots. We need to get these bodies to an autopsy room. I really need to run some tests, she said. Are you sure that's wise? There's bound to be more of those fuckers heading our way now. Picasso said, and I thought for a moment before nodding her agreement at this. Yeah, I know, but we still need to know what the fuck we're up against here, she said. 
The small sound from the door caught Vacaso's attention and he immediately snapped his smart gun up into the aim, levelling it onto the door, which to his utter amazement now stood actually open, and in the doorway stood a young Scalathor woman. Picasso nearly opened fire on her. If it wasn't for the fact that she immediately held her hands up in her front and her protectively, he would have. Her body language instantly told him that she wasn't infected by whatever the hell this was. Please don't shoot, the young woman exclaimed as she saw Picasso levelling his weapon on her. At the sound of a voice, I snapped up from inspecting the bodies and levelled on her, her weapon on the newcomer. Identify yourself, I snapped, keeping her weapon drained on her. Treatment like this always seemed harsh and unnecessary to civilians, who really didn't understand how the military mind works. It's all about threat analysis and situation control. And sometimes the only way to stop civilians, and sometimes yourself, from panicking and running around was to show a harsh measure of authority and control. From the white tone of her, of her skin, Ice could tell the young woman, reptilian woman was scared out of her mind. She also looked exhausted. I, I, I'm Zachi Twisthorn. I work here, at least I did, she said in a soft but scared sounding voice. Doctor? Picasso asked. Her eyes flicked from ice to him. In his opinion, she was rather pretty. Young woman, she was about five foot two with a long curved horn in the centre of her short feminine snout. I'd like her to bend her name depicted, twisted at the end, kind of like a corkscrew. She kind of reminded Picasso of the pictures of dragons that he used to love looking at when he was a kid. In fact, she kind of reminded him of the dragon he had tattooed across his back of his shoulders and onto his chest. It was probably the small rolls of little horns that ran along the side of her snout and over the top of her head. But to be fair, she was a lot prettier and a lot more feminine than the pictures he'd seen. Yes, Jachi stammered. Ice and Picasso glanced at each other and shared a slight unperceivable nod. And then at once they both lowered their weapons and stood up straight to face Zachi. Are you the rescue team? Zachi asked, still stammering in fear. Ice glanced at Picasso and he nodded. This was his area of expertise, being the team's interrogation specialist. That's right. You can call me Picasso. And this is my colleague, Ice. He said in a very soft and controlled voice as he took a step forwards towards the young woman. He could now see past her into the room in which she appeared to be in hiding. It appeared to be a laboratory of some kind. He could see a few workstations with magnifiers and imaging equipment, as well as what looked like sample cabinets. He couldn't see any others in the room, and his motion tracker only showed her signal now. Oh, thank the gods and the great tree himself, Zachi said in a voice that sounded like it was full of relief, and the same tone sounded like it was about to crack and explode with emotion. Picasso knew that he'd been able to keep her stable while he asked her a few questions. So pushing his smart gun barrel upwards into the back for the belt harness to lock it into position so his hands were now free. Slowly he placed an armoured hand on her slender shoulder and instantly she flinched at his touch. She looked up at his visor-hidden face. He guessed that without night vision she wouldn't be able to really see any detail except his helmet. So in order to calm her nerves down he reached up and pressed a small switch on the back of the helmet which caused the internal lights to bathe his face in a soft blue light, enabling her to see him through the visor.
as soon as she saw his face. Something inside Zachi snapped, and in a flash she threw her arms around Picasso's torso and began to sob heavily against his armoured chest. Thank you, oh thank you, she began to say over and over again as she clung to his chest. Slowly he placed a hand on her back of her scaled head and tried to soothe her gently. Shh, now, it's okay now, he said in a soft voice, looking over her head at Ice. He motioned with his head for her to check the lab that Zachi had been hiding in. Ice nodded and slowly moved past the pair and into the room. It was a rather advanced lab, looking at the, for performing toxicology and screening work, and for looking at blood work. There were four separate lab stations with various equipment designed to filter bloods and fluids and to inspect them with things like high-precision microscopes and scanning equipment, and it littered the stations. The room was pretty much dark, except for a small amount of light being given off what appeared to be some sort of bioluminescent fungi that had been stored in jars that Zarchi had placed around a small couch that appeared he'd been using as a bed of some kind. It was kind of obvious that Zarchi had been hiding here for quite a while, by all the wrappers and other trash that was piled up near and nearly buried a bin in the corner of the room. Ice was just glad that the lab seemed to have its own toilet facilities, or she'd guessed she'd have been very glad of her helmet right at this point in time. Using the team's hand signals, Ice motioned for Picasso that the room was clear and safe. He nodded a response and then made a signal to her for her to call it in before turning his attention back to the still-sobbing young female. He gently lifted her chin so that he was looking right into her face. I need to ask you some questions, Zachi. We need to know what happened here and what we can do to help, he said in soft voice. Help? There is no help now. All we can do is get the fuck out of here before more of them come. More always come, she said in a small fearful voice. As she spoke, he heard another voice in his helmet coming over the comms ice to all call signs ice to all call signs we have a survivor repeat have secured a survivor we'll continue to search the hospitals for anything useful i've also taken down four x tangos replete four x tangos neutralized if encountered only use headshots to engage as body and limb shots are pointless repeat engage with headshots only over I said through the team comms as clearly as she could. The response was almost instant. This is Inferno. Confirming info received and understood. Continue your search and keep keep us updated with anything you find. Over and out, she said, and there was a fair bit of static on the line, but Ice was able to understand what she'd said thanks to her gruff voice cutting through the static like a knife. Spike had designed their personal comm systems, and they had only had a massive range but huge depth, so they could function even if the operator was underground or inside a fortified building. So if they were static on the line, that meant Inferno was somewhere rather shielded, and the signal was having trouble penetrating, which was kind of concerning. A second voice came over the comms now. This is Tank, confirming info received and understood. Just in time, girly. I think we're about to need it. We've reached the shuttle station and it's pretty heavily fortified. We're going to see if Moodstone can work our black magic and get us inside. If we're successful, we'll see what we turn up. 
and if possible we'll turn this place into some kind of staging area. Over and out, Tank's voice said in a much clearer line. Roger that. Keep us in the loop on any progress and watch your back. Treat any civilian contact as hostile until confirmed they're uninfected. Over and out, Inferno's voice said. Roger that. Came with various sets of replies, including ices. Looking from Zachi to Ice, the two shared a small nod. Picasso was about to resume his questioning of the frightened young Scalathor woman when a metallic clang echoed down the corridor from his right. Instantly he released her and swung his weapon down into the firing position again and turned his visor lights off. As he looked down the corridor, he couldn't see a single thing until what appeared to be a can slowly rolled from the left of the corridor to the right before hitting the wall with a metallic thud. Taking slow, controlled breaths, Picasso scanned the corridor with his smart gun, but there was nothing in sight. His motion tracker wasn't showing anything. Well, not at first, anyway. First became one bleep, then two, then ten. Contacts! We gotta move! Now! Picasso roared to ice, who without hesitation appeared behind Zachi and grabbed her before she could retreat back into the room and lock it again. Go, I got you covered, he said as he pushed past him, with the protesting Scalathor walking backwards. He kept his smart gun in the aim down the corridor as the markers got closer. They were currently at 40 metres and closing. Tank looked at the utter scene of utter chaos that surrounded the shuttle station. There were barricades and mesh wire barriers strewn about everywhere. In among them were what appeared to be military vehicles, like hover hammers and two massive Challenger 10 main battle tanks. All of them were totally abandoned. It looked like they'd been set up for some sort of checkpoint here, probably in some kind of attempt to begin an evacuation. An evacuation that, for whatever reason, never happened. One of the first things he noticed was one of the huge holes in the tarmac and cement leading up to the shuttle station car park. It looked like some form of heavy weapons fire, and judging by the massive bloodstains and bits of tissue everywhere, most of the fire had been fairly accurate. But there were no bodies. And that was the thing that was puzzling him the most. Where were all the bodies? All those holes and all that blood, and not a single body in sight in any direction. Sure, was a hell of a shitstorm that came this way he said as he kneeled down to inspect a rather large scorch mark that had been made by a Yujuta plasma caster. Given that I can't see a single body anywhere, I'm suddenly not liking the odds here very much, Moodstone said, sweeping a weapon across the empty car park. As she did, she looked up at Whisper, who was also inspecting a hole, apparently made by a very heavy weapons fire. She simply glanced up at her and nodded her agreement. Well, we can't hang about here all fucking day. Let's get a move on, hens, and let's see what we can do in that big-ass building over there, Tank said, pointing to the main shuttle station building. Both Moodstone and Whisper glanced at each other before they looked back at him and nodded, following his lead towards the main building. The main building was a huge retro-styled affair. It reminded Tank of old Grand Central Station on Earth, but on a much bolder scale. And he could also see a lot of artistic license from the architect in the form of huge brick archways and lines the entire outer wall that circled the whole building. 
a large black grand staircase that led directly up to the Ming doors, where a huge shutter had been closed in front of the doors themselves to prevent entry. Tank stood looking at the massive dented silver-coloured shutter, but it wasn't the dents that he was paying attention to. It was the collection of bloody handprints that littered the outside of it. Think you can crack it open, lassie? Tank asked, looking at Moodstone, and she grinned at him through the helmet. Is that a trick question, lover? She asked, causing Tank to turn her grin inside his own helmet. Before he met this wondrous woman, he'd have never imagined looking at another species the way he looked at her. She'd turned his entire perception of the universe upside down and inside out the second she'd stepped into his life. As he turned to help whisper, keep watch, she broke out her plasma cutting torch from her pack. He remembered the very first time he'd set eyes on her. The time was in the process of being assembled by Queen Bee, and he was stood in the meeting room with the ghost shadow, taking in the team's sergeant, a kind of normal-looking guy whose codename was Reaper, while he looked around at each of the team that was brought in one at a time and introduced. Now he'd never met one of these guys before today, and he had to really say he wasn't all that impressed by any of them. And he'd certainly not heard of any of them before. Well, that was all except for Reaper. This guy he had heard of before. No, he wasn't exactly much to look at. His reputation alone was enough to give the ar- an entire army the willies. Before he'd been recruited by the spirits, he was some kind of floating assassin out in the outer rim. But now, while assassins were ten a penny out here, on the frontier, this guy was different, and of a whole different breed. Instead of your everyday petty thug, this guy specialised in going after slaving rings and pirate crews that operated out there. A story sprung to mind of a pirate cruiser that attacked a colonist ship, killing most of the crew and taking the passengers as slaves. Well, when the colonial marines had been drafted in to find and take them out, they'd found someone who had beaten them to it. They found the ship adrift inside an asteroid belt, and when they board it, they found every single one of the crew dead. But there was no evidence of a struggle, or even a battle. Every single one of them had been killed execution style, either with a shot to the back of the head, or with some of their throats cut. Sometimes in group of three or four, and all of the slaves were simply gone. They all showed up on a Wayland yutani deep-run space station, which acted kind of like a refuelling and R&R station for those going to the frontier worlds. Every one of them told the same story of a guy dressed all in black, whose face you couldn't see for his large hood, who moved like a ghost and killed without mercy. Some of them had watched them from his cages as he'd moved up on the totally unsuspecting crews and just simply cut their throats or simply just shot them in the back of the head at point-blank range. And that was only one of the stories that was accredited to him. There were hundreds of tales just like it. So while Tank wasn't impressed with the look of the man, he was more than smart enough to know to respect him. The man was beyond dangerous. But he was also surprisingly pleasant, and rather friendly to talk to. But it was at that point when she walked in. Queen Bee had introduced her as Moodstone, and started listing off her specialist skills and credits that explained her position on the team. But while Queen Bee had been speaking... Gregor hadn't heard a single word she'd said. His mind had been simply and totally captivated by the totally radiant creature that was stood before him. 
and what made his heart nearly leave his chest as the fact that she was staring right at him and smiling broadly. It was so incredible that Gregor couldn't have been surprised if one of the little cherub fuckers had showed up and shot him in the arse with an arrow. Though if he'd done, he'd still have to punch the little fucker through a bulkhead. Principal and all that. Couldn't have the team thinking he was a weak little wee burn, now could they? I got it. We're in. Moodstone's voice snapped him out of his happy memory. He turned and saw that she'd managed to cut through the securing bolts that held the shutter down. It should be free moving on its mounting now. She turned to look at him over her shoulder. You're up, my love, she said with a smile, moving Bertha over onto her sling. Gregor moved into the shutter and jammed both his shovel-head-like hands underneath it, before, with a gargantuan effort, lifted the heavy metal shutter right up high enough for them to crawl under. The shutter made a huge crash as Tank let it fall back to the ground. It seemed to echo around the large pitch-black entrance hall that they found themselves in. Everyone switched to night vision, he said, upon seeing how dark it was inside. As they were switching over, something lit up in his HUD. Motion tracker's getting a signal. Sixty metres. That way. He hissed, pointing his finger into the dark hallway. Each of them brought up a weapon into the aim and started scanning their arcs. I'm on point. Moodstone, you in the middle. Whisper, you cover our rears. Gregor said, and the others nodded while moving into position. Slowly they began to move down the hallway, in a staggered line, constantly sweeping their weapons with them as they moved. As they moved closer, more signals began popping up on Gregor's motion tracker. He stopped the team with a hand signal. Got multiple signals here, counting ten signals so far, he said. The other two nodded, and slowly they began to move off again being even more cautious now as they moved down the large marble hallway. At the end of the hallway were two large set of wooden double doors. The left set had a padlock and chain wrapped around the handles. Guess we're going right then, Tank said, pointing to the doors. Moodstone and Whisper nodded and moved into position on either side of the doors while he got into position directly in front of them. Whisper, who was closest to the handle, counted down from three and hit it. Both her and Moodstone hit the door handles at the same time and the doors creaked loudly inwards, with the three of them following in in behind it. The door led into a massive waiting room, with a lot of benches and seating in the middle of the room. The entire outer walls were full of shops and what looked like check-in desks. The whole place looked like it had been heavily vandalised, as cases and bins and various other articles were strewn all over the floor in every direction and not a single thing looked like it was unscathed. All three of them scanned their arcs with their weapons, and suddenly Whisper held up a hand and pointed down her gun barrel towards a set of check-in desks over towards the left side. She was holding a cousin of Reaper's pimp gun, called the AM Pip, or Anti-Material Plasma-Infused Projector. It was a dedicated sniper version of the pimp gun that Reaper carried, was built specifically with Whisper's talents in mind. Using this weapon, she currently held the world's longest shot and kill record, having hit and killed an enemy combatant at nearly four miles away with a single cold board shot. The weapon was chambered to fly a plasma projectiles in a 20mm slug at pretty insane velocities. 
Upon impact, the rounds drilled into their targets, releasing all that charged of plasma energy with an explosive burst that rather tended to vaporise the target's internal organs, leaving them pretty much to hollowed-out shell made of toasted skin. Both Moodstone and Tank followed her sightline and fo- spotted what she was looking at. Over by the check-in desk, there appeared to be someone stood leaning on the desk, as if they were filling out a boarding card or something. Tank motioned for Moodscone to come with him, but for Whisper to stay where she was and provide cover if necessary. Both mo- nodded and moved into position. Whisper moved over to a bench and knelt down, flicking down the A.M. Pip's barrel legs and resting them on the bench as she did. Moodstone moved off to Gregor's right, and slowly the pair approached the figure stood by the desk. Both of them were careful as they approached, making as little noise as possible and trying to avoid the debris that lit the ground. Once they were close enough, Gregor held up a hand and motioned for Moodstone to move further right. She nodded and circled around the figure, keeping out of sight. Hey fella, you waiting for a flight or what? Gregor yelled to the figure he'd now identified as a human male. The guy slowly turned towards him, as if every single movement he was making was a struggle of some kind. Each movement seemed to be twitchy and really non-fluid. As he turned to face him, Gregor's eyes widened. Half of the guy's face just appeared to be skull. Without warning, the guy was dressed in what looked like an expensive-looking black business suit, let loose a blood-curdling screech and flew straight at Gregor, with his arms outstretched. Before he'd gone three steps, there was a flash over Gregor's shoulder, and the male's head snapped backwards. His eye sockets and mouth seemed to pour blue light and pink light out of them, along with what looked like wispy steam and flames. For a second before he collapsed on forwards onto his knees and violently onto his face. As he fell, Tank noticed there was a large third eye socket that appeared in the centre of his forehead, and he knew instantly that Whisper had taken the shot. He gave her a quick thumbs up to indicate that he was okay. It was scary how accurate that girl was sometimes. That round had passed so close to his own head that he had a vague white trail dissipating next to his face and in his vision. So this is what they were talking about by biohazard, Moonstone said as she approached the now dead male. Tank joined her and now getting a good look at the male, his jaw dropped open. How the flying fuck was he even be able to still walk around like this? He said more to himself than directing the question to either of the girls. The male was in pretty bad shape. Not only was he missing half of his face, but one of his legs had a compound fracture in his shin and the bone was stuck out of the side of his leg. Three of his ribs appeared to be exposed by what must have been a high velocity hit to the chest that scraped the skin and the muscle away. His left arm appeared to have been shattered at the shoulder by a second hit, but he was still somehow able to raise it. As both he and Moodstone were examining the body, Whisper came over to join them, looking down at them. She seemed concerned. He had no heartbeat, she said flatly. I'm not surprised, Hen. You just vaporised his brains and pretty much everything else in there, Tank said. No, I mean before I took the shot. I tried to use my heartbeat tracker on the scope to pick up, but it picked up nothing, she said, and Tank and Moodstone glanced at each other and then back at the body laid on the floor before them. Malfunction? 
Moonstone-voiced. Whisper shook her head. I could see both of your hearts beating no problem. But from him, nothing. She said, gesturing with her gun barrel at the body laid on the floor. Again, both Tank and Moonstone looked at one another. But before anyone could say anything, there was another ear-splitting screech that was heard from over to the group's left. As one, the three of them all turned and swung their weapons up into the aim. Suddenly, Tank's motion tracker lit up like a Christmas tree. Multiple contacts, heading right for us, distance, 50 metres, count many, he said, and the spots kept appearing. In fact, there were so many of them that one entire side of the radar screen had turned completely white. Fuck, that's way too many of them. We gotta go. Come on, Moodstone yelled. I got a distant glimpse of a massive crowd heading from them out of the gloom. But as all they turned to go back the way they came, they noticed that even more of them were coming down the escalator that led directly to the ground floor next to the doors. That way, Whisper said, pointing towards the ticket desks to the right. The three of them set off at a run. They could now hear the running free to the crowd chasing them, though how they knew which direction they were going in in the total pitch black was beyond any of them. Behind them, they heard the massive crash of the check-in boost were destroyed by the sheer weight of the crowd that just simply crashed straight into them. This simply gave them even more motivation to break into a full-on sprint, but as they glanced left and right, there seemed to be more and more of them pouring out of nowhere on all sides and just joining into the pursuit, just adding to the mass behind them. Where the fuck are they all coming from? And how the fuck did we miss them all? Moodstone yelled in between pants of breath. Who fucking cares, lassie? Just keep fucking running and keep that sweet tail of yours moving. Tank yelled from behind her. Suddenly off to their right a red light flashed out of the inky blackness and the three of them heard a distant voice yelling, Over here! Over here, quickly! The voice yelled and the three of them saw a figure dancing around waving what appeared to be a, right red, a red light flare. As one, the three of them changed direction mid-sprint and accelerated full tilt towards the figure. The figure, who seemed to be wearing some sort of black or possibly blue armour, was stood next to what looked like a blast door that had been jacked up. In here! the figure yelled, pointing at the door. And the three of them didn't need to be told twice. Ducking as one, they ran straight past him and dove underneath the massive blast door. As soon as they were clear, the figure ducked under the door and kicked the jack away, causing it to slam down with enough force to shake the entire room with a massive boom. This was swiftly followed by the horrendous sound of the crowd that had been pursuing them, simply slamming full tilt into the hardened blast metal, with enough force to actually shake it in its foundations. I tell you what, you sure timed that entrance of yours well, laddie. Tank said to the armoured figure between heavy pants as he rested his whole upper body on his legs while bending double. Agreed. Very well timed, Moodstone panted, also pulling the same trick. Sorry, but I'd have tried to intervene sooner. But to be fair, I wasn't exactly expecting to see a spirit team sniffing around in here, the armoured figure said, standing a few feet off to their left. That instantly put all three of them on alert. And as one, the three of them stood up and stood up straight, their hands reaching for their weapons. Who the devil are you, laddie? And how do you know who we are? Tank said, the gruffness instantly returning to his voice, along with a very hard edge. 
Very few outside of the realm of the military knew of the existence of spirit teams. The figure held up his open hands out to his sides to show he wasn't holding a weapon. Sorry, let me introduce myself, he said, and with both hands he reached up and released his helmet from his head, revealing the face of a young Yijuta male. But there was something different, something rather off about him, really. It took Tank a second to realise or two to realise that instead of regular predlocks, he seemed to have actual hair woven into dreadlocks. My name is Tassal Jack, of the Proud Clan Mason, agent first class of the Guardian Corps and the Seeker Corps, he said, the young male Yejuta said, drawing his mandibles up into a warm-looking smile as he looked at the three very confused spirits in front of him. Yeah, so that was chapter 8, ladies and gentlemen. That was a hell of an entrance for the Guardian Corps to make into the into the realm now, wasn't it? And very well timed. But who would have thought you'd find a seeker in the middle of nowhere? But then again, what is a seeker? We'll answer to these questions and the many more. You're going to have to tune in next time and find out. So until next time, this is Ghost Nobody signing off and saying, I'll see you next time.